Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. How many of you still enjoy playing board games? Raise your hand if you enjoy playing board games. All right, I need your help here. Help me out. Shout out some of your favorite board games. What's your favorite board game? I heard Monopoly. What else? Scrabble. Sorry, Cash Flow. Candyland. Veteran Candyland uh, people. I love it. There are a lot of board game lovers in this room. How many of you love video games? Of course. So I, I love games too. I always have. When I was a kid, during these hot Phoenix summers, we would either be in the pool during the summer, or we would be gathered around one of my buddies or my dining room table, and we would be playing board games. That's just a big thing that we did. Even at our local elementary school, Desert View Elementary School, they would open the cafeteria during the summer and kids could come in for free and they had the whole cafeteria just spread out with board games that kids could play. Did any of you ever go to a a summer school activity like that? It was so much fun. And I, I wanna tell you that my favorite game I think of all time was the game Risk. Anybody here remember Risk? That's, okay, see, that's too old school for you guys. But I loved Risk because it involved a lot of strategy. You got all your, well, first of all, they were wooden pieces way back in the day. And then they became plastic pieces. And you got them, and those were your armies. And then you could plan. You could have all kinds of alliances. It, it was a strategic game, and it was a blast. But there was a problem. After the first time you played it, your friends would have a little bit of a memory. They would remember the last game, and so you would begin dealing with your past already on game two. By about game 10 or 15, you had a major past you had to deal with. Remember that time we had an alliance and you just broke it without telling me? Remember that time that you lost really, really bad? That was so funny. My friends especially loved rubbing it in when we lost. And so, and so we had a past that we had to deal with in a board game. And in the game called life, I don't mean the board game called life, I mean life, this life, we all have a past that we have to deal with. I want you to take a look at the very first passage on your crosswalk notes. If you brought your Bible, it's Romans 3.23. Now, Earlier, during our confession time, we opened up, I, I, I just said right out from this same chapter, there's no one who does good. That's what Paul says. And here's why he says that. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us sin, all of us fall short 
of the mark God has put up there so that when we get over that mark, God can go, yes, that's amazing. But every time we try to jump over that bar, we hit it and knock it off. And I'm talking not about high jump, I'm talking about our moral failures, our sins. And, and so, if I ask you the question, do you have a history, do you have skeletons in your closet, do you have stories that you hope will never be told publicly, I would say virtually 100% of us must have those stories because it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that raises a very important question. How do you deal with that? Because the reality of having a past is guilt and shame come with a past. I remember sins that I committed long, long ago. Things that I did to hurt my mom, my dad, my sister. I'm talking decades and decades ago and they're still fresh in my mind, some of them, as if I did them yesterday. Because that's what guilt and shame do. They keep dredging up the past. That's only the beginning though. That's only the first stage. Because what happens is if all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's not only that you have sinned against God and against your neighbor many, many times over, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors, your friends. If all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, many of them have also sinned against you. And that has created anger. That has created hurt. That has created a temptation to hold grudges and to try to even the score. And it's amazing how often we not only carry the guilt and shame of our own sins along with us through life, but also carry our anger and our hurt through life because of the sins others have committed against us. That's what we mean when we talk about a past. If I were to ask you, for example, how many of you recognize that Hurt people hurt people. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? And how many of you, don't raise your hand, have hurt other people because other people have hurt you? Yeah. You see, we may think we've dealt with our past, but if we're still hurting people because others have hurt us, we haven't fully dealt with it yet. We may think we've forgiven, but then something happens and it dredges the whole thing up all over again. We may think that we've received forgiveness. I've talked to God about this. I know I'm forgiven, but somehow that thing that we asked for forgiveness for keeps haunting us. Why do so many children of alcoholics become alcoholics themselves and find it extraordinarily difficult to beat that sin? 
Why do so many children who watched their parents do certain sins, we see this with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. All throughout that, their parents were deceivers at times, and it just gets passed down. And we find it difficult to kick the sin of our parents because we have not truly dealt with our past. Now, dealing with our past is not an easy thing. I, I don't want to tell you that it is, is an easy thing. But what I can tell you is Jacob, in the story for today, is living out an ice cream cone card. He is living out God giving him something that changed the entire game for him. And I, I want you to know this is important because we all know the fact that you can't fool God. God cannot be mocked, it says in Galatians chapter 6. A man will reap what he sows. And we see it right here in Numbers 32, 23. The Israelites were about to head in. This is much later now from the time of Jacob. They were about to finally head into the promised land. Moses has led them around through the wilderness for 40 years. Two tribes come up, the Reubenites and the Gadites, and they say, Moses, can we stay on this side of the river Jordan? And Moses just simply barely hears that and he starts to go a little nutty. He gets filled with anger. Why? Because it was that very sentiment that 40 years ago had sent Moses and all the children of Israel by God back into the wilderness. We're, not, we're too scared. We're not ready to go into the promised land. We don't know if God's going to really give it to us like he said. And so God said, all right, you, you need a little bit more work. You go out and wander in the wilderness for 40 years and then come back and we'll see if you're ready to trust my promises. Now the Reubenites and the Gadites are saying, I see we're all here and you guys are ready to go in. Can we stay on this side? And Moses, Moses gets upset. But then they say, well, Moses, understand us. We're not saying we won't fight the battle. We, we just don't want our women and children to be holding this back. Let us leave them here. We'll build, we'll build shelters for them and corrals for our animals. And then we will take the point of the spear. We, the Reubenites and the Gadites, will be at the very front leading you in. We'll fight the hottest battles, Moses. Moses says, okay, if you do that, I agree. And then he says this. Take a look in your notes. But if I say it's okay for your family and your animals to stay here on the east side of the Jordan, and if you fail to do what you've promised, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. In other words, what's Moses saying? God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow. So write this down. We all have a past Moses didn't want this to happen to the Reubenites and, and Gadites. Jacob is thinking it's about to happen to him. Sometimes our past catches up with us. Now, do you remember what Jacob's past was? 20 plus years ago, he had cheated his brother Esau out of the inheritance. I won't go into the depths of the story. You can go back and listen to that message if you want to hear it. 
But after Esau gets cheated, the last words that Jacob knows from Esau is, I will kill my brother Jacob and I can wait. I'm a patient man. We'll just let dad pass so that I don't hurt him. But once dad's gone, my brother Jacob is a dead man. Now, if you're Jacob, if you're that dead man walking and you're about to meet the brother and that's the last words you heard from him 20 years ago and those words have had a chance to sort of work, your, work their way deeply into your head, what are you thinking about this meeting? Especially when you hear the messengers that you've sent on ahead say, by the way, your brother Esau, he's coming with 400 soldiers, armed men. Jacob was scared. The Bible tells us he was scared. But an interesting thing happened to him. So let's look at Genesis 33, 1 to 3. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. You'll remember Leah and Rachel are Jacob's two wives. The two female servants were servant girls of the wives that had been given to Jacob to produce more children, which he did. We talked about how confusing that is, but that's how the Bible reports the story. Here they are. They're all about to meet Esau, and he puts the female servants, Bilhah and Zilpah were their names, and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. Rachel and Joseph were his favorites. He's going to protect them the most. But then something interesting happens. Jacob has always been the man to run. When he heard that Esau was threatening to kill him, he booked it out of his home and headed off hundreds of miles away to Haran. But look what happens this time. He, meaning Jacob himself, went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Do you have a picture of this in your mind? So this is, this is Jacob, and Esau's there, and he's literally getting all the way down on the ground, putting his forehead on the ground, rising, taking a few steps forward, all the way down on the ground again, putting his forehead in the dust up. He does that seven times. And what he's saying with that is, you are my master. I am now determined to honor you as my older brother. Boy, the humility. This is a different Jacob. This is a new man, a bold man, who's gonna step out in front and be the first, not run away with his tail tucked between his legs, He's out there boldly, ready to meet Esau, and he's humble. What's happened? Well, do you remember last week? We talked about what happened. Jacob wrestled with God, and God touched his hip. It was excruciatingly painful. Can you relate to this, James? It was excruciatingly painful. James has gone through a few things like that. But Jacob says, I am not letting go. I will not let you, go of you. And, and look, look what happens here. 
The man, this is actually the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate, before his birth. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob says, I'm Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, the Lord said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God. That's what the name Israel means, the one who struggles with God. You have struggled with God, and not only with God, and with humans too, and have overcome. Jacob, I've spent years molding you, honing you, building you, coaching you, letting experience, letting my promises, my gracious promises given to you at Bethel work their way into your heart. And I think you're ready for this, Jacob. And he comes and he wrestles with Jacob all night long. Jacob says, no matter what happens, Lord, I am embracing you. I am not letting go. I don't care how much pain and agony I'm in. You are my Lord and I will not let go of you or your promises. And at the end of the night when the sun is just about to come up, the Lord says to Jacob, you're the champ. You're the champ, Jacob. You've wrestled with me. You've wrestled with Laban and Rachel and Leah, and Bilhah, and Zilpah, and Esau, and Isaac, and your mother Rebekah. You've, you've wrestled with me, and with men, and women, and let me raise your hand. You're the champ. You're doing the right thing. Just cling to me, stick to me. Remember we talked about Velcro last week. Stick to me like Velcro, and that will make you a champ. Do you see that that was game changing for Jacob? Because after that night spent wrestling with God and having his name changed, Jacob doesn't go, oh, I'm tired. I've been wrestling all night. I need a nap before I meet Esau. It's not going to go well if I meet Esau feeling like this. None of that. Jacob says, I'm ready. God changed my name. I am the one who wrestles with God. I am the one who is the champion. Let's go meet Esau. And he steps in front. Write this down. Name changing was game changing for Jacob. Do you know your name has changed? The Bible says so. You, you can read about it in the, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah talks about it. Revelation chapter two, Jesus tells the church at Pergamum, you people who believe to me and cling to me, I'm gonna give you a white stone with a new name written on it. Meaning, I'm giving you a fresh start, a new identity. You're with me for eternity. Why do we constantly remind you? Here's what your real identity is. Here's your true name. Not dad, not boss, not hey you, not Mr. or Mrs. this or that. None of those. You know, I, I don't know if you're like me. I've had so many different names throughout my life. 
When I was born, I was called William because that's my first name. But my dad was also William, so that got disposed of quickly because it created too much confusion, my mom said. So then they went with my middle name, Jeff. But then my sister came along and she tried to call me brother, but that didn't come out well, so I became Buzz. And for many years in my childhood, I was Buzz. And I was no Buzz Lightyear, but I was Buzz. And then I got into high school and I was very fond of playing basketball and shooting up bricks from the perimeter and so I came to be known as Gunner. And now you call me pastor. And it's interesting how every time your name changes, even just a little bit, kind of changes how you look at yourself. And this totally happens. What's your name? Pastor Dan referred to it. I referred to it during the the confession of sins. You are a dearly loved child of God. Child of God is your name. Do you every day remind yourself, this is my new name, child of God. This is who I am. I can be a dad or not a dad. I can work at this place or that place. I can live in Phoenix or I can live in Philadelphia. My name doesn't change. Doesn't matter what my mom and dad call me. Doesn't matter what my brother or sister call me. Doesn't matter what my buddies call me. My name doesn't change. I am child of God. And when we, like Jacob, take home to heart the name change that God has given us because Jesus went to the cross, bled and died for us to forgive our sins and give us that new name, It changes everything. It is a game changer. Let's go on. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. It clearly, God has been working in the background here. I told you what the last thing Esau said was. I'm gonna kill you, brother. I don't care how long it takes. What happens here? Esau runs to meet Jacob and embraces him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. Now I want you to picture this. Are you hugger? You know, I'm, I'm one of these. If, you know, on the, I meet you on the patio, especially if you're a later lady, I'll give you the little pastor side to side hug, right? Or if you're a guy, I might do the, you know, pat pat, you know, bro hug. Esau comes and he goes, Jacob, 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 it's so good to see you, man. It's so good to see you after all this time. What do you think Jacob's doing through this? Is he like, um, is this good news? I think it might be good news. Jacob. God has worked. He has done a work on Esau's heart. It's amazing. Esau ran ran to meet Jacob. In the ancient Middle East, these guys were, by the way, estimated to be in their 90s. This is a 90-year-old man sprinting to meet his 90-year-old twin brother so that he can embrace him and cry on his shoulder. This is incredible. 
and they wept. And then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? Have you ever been in those situations where you've been so angry and so upset and so divided from someone in your family or from a friendship that you've completely lost track of them and you haven't even wanted to catch up? You've blocked them on your Facebook feed. You're not going to watch their Instagram. Like, I'm done with this person. That's what happened here. Esau looks up and he, and it's not as if there was, there was zero communication. Yeah, they were miles apart. It was ancient times. But had Esau wanted to know what had happened with his brother Jacob, he could have found out. But Esau looks up and he goes, whoa, dude, who are these with you? And I want you to listen carefully to the answer Jacob gives. Jacob answered, they are the children. Underline these words. God has graciously given your servant. The old Jacob, he would have said, oh yeah. <laughs> Hitched up his pants like that. All these, I worked hard for them. I earned them. I'm a pretty smart dude. The new Jacob says, these are gifts of God. These are blessings that God and his love and grace have determined to give me. And then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Look at the modeling. Jacob bows down seven times. Now the whole family's bowing down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Do you see that the name change was a game change for, for Jacob? Because instead of running, instead of all this pride, Jacob is bold, strides up to Esau, not sure what's going to happen. He's got to be eyeing those 400 armed men behind Esau. He's like, here I am, brother. When he's asked about his family, he's saying, not, hey, I did all this. He's saying, God did all this. The name change was a game change for Jacob. The name change that you've experienced, child of God, when you live in that, it changes everything. When you believe the bold and faithful love of God that changed your name, because God sent his son in grace for you. It's a game changer. Will you turn the page? When my name changes, a past of fear and anger becomes a future of boldness and forgiveness. That's what happened to Jacob. That's what can happen for you. Live in your new name, child of God. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord. Like this, I know, I ripped you off. You're due some restitution. Remember Zacchaeus, when he became a believer, he was sitting up in that tree, and Jesus says, come on down, we're going to your house to eat today. Zacchaeus, at the end of the meal, looks at Jesus, and he says, man, whatever I have done ripping off other people... I'm gonna pay them back four times. Because that's what's right. That's, what's, that's what repentance does. It brings restitution. Jacob is doing that. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. 
<laughs> this is funny. This is hilarious. I, I want you to watch how this plays out. 20 years ago, this would have been a huge tug of war. Jacob and Esau, and Jacob going, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And Esau going, no, it's mine, give it back. Complete scarcity mentality we talked about a few weeks ago. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I need more, 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 more. That was their attitude before, both of them. And look at Esau now. But Esau said, I don't, no, Jacob, I have plenty already, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. What's Jacob going to do? Is he going to go, okay, thanks, man. <laughs> Bring them all back. No, this is a battle of two people with abundance mentalities. People who are saying, I've got plenty. Jacob's saying, I've got plenty because I got the Lord and he's all I really need. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me forgive favorably. This is what forgiveness feels like. Forgiveness feels like I could care less about these possessions because my brother, I have your forgiveness. I have your heart back with me. We're together, we're reconciled. Please accept the present that was brought to you for Jacob has, for God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. Circle those words, God has been gracious to me. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Second point, when our name changes a past of scarcity mentality, I gotta have more, 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 I don't have enough, there just isn't enough for me, becomes a future of abundance mentality. I have plenty, I am blessed. God has given me so much. Where are you? Struggling with scarcity mentality? If I only had fill in the blank, then I could have peace. If I only had, then I would feel safe. If I only had, then I can be happy. That's the way Esau and Jacob used to think. Now Esau and Jacob think to themselves, oh my goodness, I have so much more than I can deal with. Let me be generous. Let me give it away. Are you there? I pray that you're there. There is so much joy and generosity. But when we're hoarders, when I lived in Zambia, there was a lot of, there was scarcity, true scarcity. And there was a saying in Zambia at that time, hoarding is rewarding. If you struggle with that thought in your mind, hoarding is rewarding, that might be an indicator that you have a scarcity mentality. Go back to your new name. I'm a child of God. And if you are God's child, will he not take care of you? Will he not give you all that you need? Does he not own the cattle on a thousand hills? Does he as a loving father not intend 
to loving you, lovingly bless you every day. And if he could give up his one and only son to win the forgiveness of your sins, will he not give you much smaller blessings along the way? When my name changes, a past of scarcity mentality becomes a future of abundance mentality. Third and final one. Then Esau said, let us be on our way, I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant. Now this is interesting because before, Jacob was a people pleaser. Completely a people pleaser. Last week we talked about him being a fixer. And fixers are often people pleasers because they say to themselves, oh, this person's hurting. Oh, this person's angry. Oh, this person, they're upset about something. I can fix that. And they run around trying to fix everybody else's emotions and make them stop feeling hurt. That was Jacob. Laban says, hey, I know you worked seven years so that you could have Rachel, but I'm giving you, I'm giving you Leah instead. You gotta work seven more years for the wife I was gonna give you. And what does Jacob do? Oh, I want you to be happy, Laban. Okay, I'll work seven more years. Rachel and Leah are in this big tug of war about having children. Jacob's running back and forth trying to make them happy all the time. He was a people pleaser to the core. In the old days, if Esau had said to Jacob, before the name change, I'll come with you, I'll accompany you, Jake would go, oh, Esau, whatever you want, bro. Like, I just want you to be happy. Not now. Because Jacob has gone from being a people pleaser to being a pleaser of an audience of one. I will thank and praise and worship and please only one, my God. So listen what happens. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, this is after he sends Esau away and says, no, brother, I don't need you to stay and help me. Jacob arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city for a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. Now underline this last phrase. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, meaning God is the God of Israel. God is the God of, what's his new name? Israel. I will worship him. My altar will be set up for him. I will please him and recognize him and show him to be my God. Write this down. When my name changes, a past of people-pleasing becomes a future of pleasing an audience of one. So now if I ask you, what's your ice cream cone card? Do you know what it is? Not, not the ice cream cone card in the game, Candyland. The real ice cream cone card. The one that changed the game for Jacob, the one that changes the game for you. You see, the one who changes names changes games. 
and that is Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And the card that he gives you is just that, your name change. If you will live in your new name, child of God, as Jacob begins to live in his name, Israel, the same things that happened for Jacob will happen for you. And so my ask of you as you go out today is just think about this. Am I really, truly living in my name, child of God, in the love that that means from God and the peace that I can have, in the joy that I can walk around knowing that my destiny is sealed, heaven is mine? Am I really living in God's love that has caused him to rename me child of God? Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your amazing grace and love, for your sending of your son, Jesus Christ, for you giving each of us a white stone with a new name on it. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we see today how giving Jacob a new name changed everything. It was a complete game changer for him. And I pray that everyone in this room will see that living in their identity as a child of God is a game changer for them too. Lord God, Heavenly Father, your love is immense. Your forgiveness is amazing. Your coming after us is relentless. And that's all because of what your son Jesus did for us on the cross. And we thank you for that. And we lift up this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. You know it and I know it. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And if he were here today, he would have put it this way. In life, we're going to get a lot of peppermint cards. And you've gotten some peppermint cards. You've dealt yourself some peppermint cards because of your sinfulness and your fallenness. But the beauty of today's message is the ice cream cone is yours every day. And you can take it because the name changer, Jesus Christ, is the game changer for you. And he wants you to take your ice cream cone card, your new name, dearly loved child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, and put it to work. Put God's love and promises to work in your life. That changes everything. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen.